Uh, welcome to this week's TRM podcast, where we welcome Nicola Cook. If anybody is looking to scale their business and build a sales machine to accelerate growth and scalability, you've got to listen to this woman. She's a fireball. She runs a kick-ass uh, agency that has done it hundreds of times, and uh, she's a lot of fun. Enjoy it. Right, I'm absolutely delighted to welcome to the TRM podcast, Nicola Cook uh, from Company Shortcuts. Nicola, we've not seen each other since August. I know, yes. <laughs> we will meet again. <laughs> we will meet again, and yet again, here we are uh, on Zoom. Um, so um, we're going to talk all things sales, building sales machines, uh, which is what you do. Uh, but listen, you are, um, you're an author, you're a speaker, you're a You've been a TED speaker. You've been in every publication that exists. Uh, can you, can you just for those people who are listening who are not aware of you, can you give the two-minute life story of Nicola? Yeah. So I'll kind of uh, fill in the blanks as to sort of how I ended up where I'm at. Um, so my career in sales started in corporate. So I, I, I started in a in a large blue chip organisation. Went through one of their training programs. It was American Express actually was the first corporate I worked for. I then had a career in corporate, primarily in the sales, actually as a sales manager or a salesperson working up to directorship level. And then I switched over to small businesses um, just in the late 1990s. I know I, I'm, I don't look that old, but anyway. Um, and, <laughs> and that was the, to be a sales director of a small service-based business. There was literally five of us in the team. I got the call from a friend who was the MD and said, I need a sales director. Do you want the job? And I went absolutely thinking this is going to be cushy compared to what I've been doing in my career up until this point. And um, not appreciating the challenge of growing a, a small business and growing a scale up business. This wasn't a new startup business, but it was a business that had ambition to grow. Um, and we were doing it in a bootstrapped way. So we didn't have investment behind us. And my job was to essentially figure out how do we build that engine that allows us to grow. Um, you know, so that involved every decision from strategy, from team, from, from putting the toolkit in place to, you know, tactically applying ourselves to in order them to grow. And that business went, grew, grew rapidly, went through a trade sale exit. And that was in 2004, that was the trigger for me to then start my own business. And ever since then, I've had my own company. I have investments in other businesses. Um, I obviously I sit on a number of boards. I have a number of I have my own charity. I write. I do lots of other other things as, uh, around that as well. From now, um, basically, but it was that that world experience of sort of coming from that big business background into a small business and thinking, yeah. how do I take what I know but make it applicable in this in this context that really has has grounded me in in what I now share. And what's the what's the we'll come on to some of your your philosophies. Um, what, what is the difference between being in corporate land in sales versus being in the SME in the scaling up environment? What, what are the big differences? Um, I'll answer that question in, in, in a couple of ways, actually, because there's a um, the, the biggest benefit of being in a, in a corporate world is uh, is both a blessing and a curse in the sense that when you when you work for a big organization, you are naturally a very small cog in a very big machine. Mm. And that was the first thing that I um, realized was that actually this is a, you know, a professional 
flywheel you know and I am a, a component part of that and 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 although I may not have directly worked in all of the other divisions it was kind of like we could see how for example you you know you you have new product development and then how what you know how you bring something to market and then you know solve all the problems along that journey and then repeat rinse and repeat um and that's great um the, uh, but often when you're working in a big corporate world um, you know, the things that you take for granted are things like cash flow, um, you know, budgets, you know, if you miss your target, it, you don't feel that immediately, you might feel it in your bonus, or you might feel it in next year's budget, but you don't necessarily feel it in the moment. Um, yeah. In the same way that businesses who are a bit more cash tight might feel those that, that you know, that, that kind of impact of that kind of outcome a bit more seriously. And then if I answer that question separately about how is that different from, so the benefit is that the disadvantage is that it's the, it's the ability to be able to change strategy. And then you, when you're in a big business, it's very difficult to bend and to pivot very quickly and to, and to be reactive to market need. And I found that very frustrating actually, because as an entrepreneur, I could see both opportunity and I'm thinking, why are we not maximizing this? And why are we not doing something about this? And then I could also see things where we were being outdated and we were being beaten by faster, leaner, um, you know, more innovative competition. But, mm. we, you know, we were relying on our brand to carry us through. Um, and then you move into the small, the SME market. And I really distinct this. I split the SME market um, in terms of different mindsets between startup and scale up. Because um, a startup's mindset um, should quite rightly be get a customer. That's all I need to do is just get a customer. And then when you get one, you have to get another one and get another one and get another one. And then what happens is usually that first customer comes back and goes, by the way, we love what you do, but can you also offer us this? And you stand there with your, you know, your Superman pants on and go, definitely, because all you're thinking about is revenue, order book, cash flow. Um, and a lot of businesses get stuck at that level and to get from the startup to the scale up phase is interesting because the scale up mindset is different because if you're going to scale out of that then you have to really focus on your lane you've really got to pick a lane in whatever niche you're in or whatever part of the market or sector you're in and you've got to make some clear, clear distinctions about what your differentiator is who your target customer is and be brave enough to turn away the other stuff that would have been you know, bright, shiny object syndrome before. And a lot of what I help businesses do is to overcome that, to build the engine that allows them to do that. So, sorry, that was a big, long-winded yeah. answer. Have I given you, have I answered your question? No, no, no it's great, no, because having worked in, in corporate land myself, I, I, I totally get to that. And, and I think one of the exciting things across our membership is because they're, everybody's an SME, you know, yeah. um, employing less than 200 people 250 people that, that actually the agility and speed of of, of uh, um is quite exciting and and some of the adaptability we've seen in the last 12 months has been amazing yeah if i if i if i think about where our members are at now mm. they've, they've almost without exception got some really good traction yeah mm -hmm. uh, in place that's uh, and the market's coming back and yeah. and people are getting more confidence the optimism's coming we're getting back into it office that we can see that see the way forward mm -hmm. um and actually they've got a lot of in, really exciting growth plans yeah. so i absolutely love what you do which is this whole concept of a sales machine yeah um and really making sure whatever we do today can allow us to scale up and uh, and grow so can we, let's just unpack the sales machine the sales engine concept yeah the sales um, engine concept so 
One of my um, uh, sort of key phrases is that brand is a promise of consistency. Um, I'm sure I've probably heard that somewhere. I can't attribute the quote because I don't no, know. It's you. It, it was you. It was, was me. <laughs> it wasn't me. It's been said before, but it's true because, uh, you know, um, a brand, whether it be a product or a service or, or whatever, is a promise of consistency. And we as consumers or as business buyers get educated as to what the value proposition is associated with that brand name, logo and all that kind of stuff. And that's where my friends that sit and colleagues that sit in marketing spend lots of time figuring that out for companies. But what a lot of people fail to recognize is that that brand experience, that promise of consistency also um, begins at the very beginning of your customer engagement, your customer journey. And uh, one of the challenges in building a brand experience in your sales function is how do you codify so that you can not only duplicate, but then scale up what is happening within your sales business. And every business has buried within it the sales algorithm. And the algorithm is the correlation between resources and activity that then deliver a solidified profitable output over time. And most businesses do not know how to unpack that. And what they do is they make all the classic mistakes about how do you build sales, okay? Well, if we're gonna build sales, then what we need is we need salespeople. <laughs> Um, which you will do eventually, you know, and that's definitely part of the problem, but yeah. hiring them first may not be the right move, you know, or they go out and they go and spend a gazillion million pound on HubSpot or equivalent and think that's the right way to go about it. And actually what you need to do is, is in order to understand what your sales machine needs to be, you need to understand, first of all, your proposition, second of all, your market. And then third of all, most importantly, is how, what is your sales model to reach that market? And that's really got to be thought out quite methodically and tested to be able to build the system, build the processes, build the strategy, and then scale it. So it's, it's, it's I break it down into these four key areas of understanding your sales strategy, de designing and, and implementing your best sales team. And when I use the word sales in terms of a customer journey, I include marketing in that. So okay. the whole kind of end-to-end -end customer journey, the team that's gonna deliver that. That, that team need tools. Um, and in the olden days, when I was the wee whippersnapper back in the day, you know, toolkit for a salesperson was your sales bag. You know, it was your boot full of samples, your order forms in triplicate and a fuel card. And and you calculate it. You calculate it. Yeah, exactly. Um, and these days, tools are much more sophisticated. Tools are data analytics, you know, digital sales aids, uh, thought leadership, good processes, and, and all that kind of good stuff that goes around that, as well as samples and, and, and so on, if you, if you still need them. And then finally, tactics. So strategy team, tools, and then tactics. And tactics is the execution piece. So tactics is about have we, are, are our people skilled? Are they competent? Are they motivated? And are they doing on a day-to-day -day basis what we need them to do to deliver the sales strategy? So that whole model, I have a name for it. I call it SAM, the sales acceleration model. And it kind of breaks down further when you get into the detail. But that at a very top line level is the four key areas to think about. So, so just headline then, when you, when you, when you as you have done for, for years now, when you go into SMEs and you help them sort out their sales, engine yeah where where's the where where's the big cause of, of it not working typically yeah um usually it's a lack of focus 
Um, it, it's that kind of mentality where people have kind of just taken the business that's been on offer because they've still got that sort of scarcity mindset of, you know, the, the, you know, my role in business is just to, you know, say yes to everything if it has a pound sign attached to it. Um, and I always say to people, if you've got a turnover of less, less than 50 million, you really don't need to do a feasibility study. The market exists. Yeah. Okay, we're not Starbucks, you know, thinking about yeah. how much of China we're going to, you know, we're going, we're going to dominate. We're a service based yeah. business. What you need to focus on is what, how are you going to stand out? How are you going to differentiate yourself? And what's your point of difference going to be? And how does that value deliver for your customer? Um, to and to make sure that you know that your customers know you for who you are, and that is what. And, and in order to have that kind of mentality, you know, I, I make people do lots of analytics. So I make them go away and look at their current business and where their profit comes from. And it's amazing how many people don't know that. When I go, who's your top twenty percent most profitable customers, and what's your most profitable services or products or whatever? And they kind of go, well, oh, it's just too hard to work out. And I'm like, well, you kind of need to because <laughs> we need to figure out you know um the customers that the part of the market that we're really going to focus on and maybe that might involve a different way of selling than what you've been doing previously because of course as you as you're growing the customers that have got you from where you were to where you are now are not necessarily the same kind of customers that are going to get you from here to the next stage and you know you should be shaving off the bottom 10 to 20 percent every year as you are continuing to grow your business unless you have a particular strategy of, you know, dealing with that kind of customer, but you, you know, you want to reduce your opportunity costs as much as possible as you're continuing to grow. So right, right. I've got a question again, because I think I went off on a tangent there. What was the question going? <laughs> where, 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 you know, with the amount of businesses you've helped build a sales machine, where, yeah. where the big challenges is. You know, That's right. And I was saying that. that. Yeah, yeah. Lack of focus. A lot of businesses that I work with, they really don't understand um how they do sales i know that might sound like a really simple thing to say but it's kind of like that they, they haven't connected the dots they're just like well we do some stuff and it so, yeah. sort of works and and but until you really understand what is working and what isn't working it's really hard to to codify it so the outcome of, of the stuff that I bring into businesses is not only that focus, but, you know, we put things like a sales Bible in place, which is the centralized, um, you know, database and documentation of this is how we write a LinkedIn introduction. You know, these mm -hmm. are the templates that we use for here. These are our lead scoring systems. You know, this is our, uh, you know, this is our qualification process. Um, and uh, as well as some of the bigger stuff, like really helping to refine the, you know, the product proposition or the service proposition into what I call a UDP, which is a unique differentiating proposition. Um, the symptoms of people not doing it well, um, when I tend to get the call, is either they've got a sales team in place and they're not happy with the performance and they want someone like me to come in and train them. Um, and I get the call that says, I've got a sales team, Nicola, but they're like SH1T, can you come and sort them out? And I'm like, well, yes, but before I do that, I have some other questions I wanna ask you first, because <laughs> you might have people in the wrong place. You know, you might have an engine, a, a, a setup, the structure might be completely wrong for what you should be doing. 
Um, they've they've invested in uh, technology, uh, but it's added more complexity than what it, it, it it's not it's not released the productivity. Um, they have got a, a revolving door on their own sales function, you know, so they're hiring and firing at a low level and even a high level. So, um, uh, you know, I see a lot of people who who have tried, especially if they are still at director led selling. So it's either the owner founder or an early member of the of the directorship team is the hero salesperson. And then they've tried to hire a sales director to, to work alongside that. Um, I see a lot of issues where that hasn't worked because they've just hired the wrong person or they can't get the people hire sales directors thinking they're going to write the strategy. Um, and that's actually a very specific skill. Um, so uh, often, it, you know, I can uh, I would help a business put that together and then find someone who's then going to execute it for them, as opposed to someone who can come in and kind of go. So how do we how do we get to the number? Because it's not just about, well, we sell more, you know, there's like there's a there's there's some questions that we've got to define there to understand, you know, in order for us to achieve our growth targets, are we, you know, how many customers at what value over what time scale, selling them what and how are we going to do it? Are there all the kind of things that you need to unpack to be able to build an engine as opposed to just picking up buckets of jelly and hoying them at the wall and going, oh, that one worked or that stuck or we did a LinkedIn, we did a LinkedIn campaign and we got X many hits, you know? Um, yeah, yeah. So anyway. What do you mean, when you talk about Codify. Yes. Tell me what you mean exactly by Codify. It's capturing best practice, really. Okay. So it's really understanding. I always say in every business, there's, um, there are moments of genius. You know, somebody in your team, I use the example as LinkedIn, but you know, somebody in your team has got the, the highest engagement, one line opener on an in-mail. Who is it? Where is it? You know, somebody has got the best questioning technique. Um, somebody, uh, you know, somebody organizes their week the best. You know, what's their thought process on a Sunday night or on a Monday to make sure that they get the most productivity out of their week? Um, and, and very rarely do we capture that to make it into some kind of template. I mean, the reason my business is called Company Shortcuts is because it's built on templates. Right. You know, so I've got a whole template library. So every time we find a bit of genius is we make a template out of it so we can share it with somebody else. Um, and that's really what I mean about codifying it, because that's that's what builds that consistency to both be able to run it effectively, um, but also then to scale it um, so that you can then teach that methodology to somebody else in the business and somebody else in the business. And then you start to sell in a brand consistent way or you, or you deliver your customer journey is probably a, a, a better way of saying just selling. You know, you deliver your customer journey in a brand consistent way, regardless of the entry point into the customer journey. And because obviously there's multiple entry points these days or the person leading that that process. So you, you become less reliant on the individuals um, for corp, you know, for business success. And, and it's more about following the process to in order to build the business success. And then, of course, once you get the process, you then break it and you make it better and break it again and make it better. And, you know, the, the world is ever evolving the way that we buy now, both as consumers and customers. And I use customers to describe B2B customers and consumers are consumers, you know, is very different than 
the world that we as the you know baby boomers and the and the um gen gen y or gen i don't know what that what am i what am i gen z gen y no gen y <laughs> i can't even remember which gen i fit into but the way that the world that we grew up in is very different than the, the way that the world is now so you know it's right, well, evolving and, and is it fair to say very few salespeople will use or sales leaders will will talk about codifying and yeah. very few will get excited about process Yes, and I've met one in my entire career who was a sales really? director what? of a SaaS business. Yeah, that yeah. gets excited about process. Yeah, or, or got excited about the, or, or understood the need to really um, um, build an engine. Um, uh, I mean, let's face it. I mean, when you think about salespeople in your mind, you tend to think, you know, if we're talking about business development type reps of which recruitment, you know, has that kind of culture, that sort of eat what you kill kind of culture. And that's yeah. me not being detrimental because I'm, you know, I'm, I, I often um, advise people to, if they're looking for good hunters to go to the recruitment um, sector as a way of finding good hunters, because we, 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 you know, it is, it is a market that still responds to that kind of selling, but, you know, let's face it. Usually those are the types of people who have, you know, they're great networkers they are brilliant at building rapport. Um, they, they're really good at presenting. They're dead confident, outgoing, you know, uh, the full of energy, all that kind of stuff. Um, but what they're really rubbish at, right, is they're really rubbish at following process. They're really rubbish at filling out boxes. Um, you know, they're, they're, they're terrible at like completing reports and doing things on time and, yeah. and, and that kind of stuff. I call them gladiators, actually, because when you look behind them, there's just like, um, you know, there's a there's an entire battlefield of like missing arms and limbs and stuff kind of in their wake. And what you need is you need good sweeper uppers to come up behind them. Right. Sure OK, but are you, say, are you saying the gladiators, we just let them be gladiators and they could ignore your your codifying process and all that. Are you saying- So what your... you do is you'll build, actually I've got a flip chart. That one right there is, is yeah. how you build the process. And what I do is, um, is, is you build, you, I can't remember who it was who wrote the book about, we tend to focus on people's weaknesses and put a lot yeah. of energy on um, uh, training people to be better at their weaknesses. Where actually a better way is to allow people to be really good at their strengths and then kind of, fill in the blanks around them so there is right. a need if there is a need in your business for that sort of what i call the hunter you know the gladiator the sort of the um uh the, the closer the the, the solution-based salesperson and that fits in your sales model then great you know that that's you will have that within a role but what you will have around them is a process and a, and, and um, an organizational setup from end to end that meets the customer's need because here's the thing gordon is in today's world, we no longer have control in the customer journey. We used to. We used to be able to dictate to people how they would buy from us. You know, you call this number, you follow this process, you do this, you do that. The customer holds all the power now. Our job as, as leaders and as business owners and as sales leaders is to build the customer journey in a way that, the, that makes the customer want to buy from us. And the irony is, more so in the UK than in any other global um, you know, economy is that people hate to be sold to in the UK, yet love the feeling of buying. So actually a sales engine, um, in fact, in our world, should be called a buying engine. Um, mm. It's a buying engine because it's about how do we lay the process out so that the customers want to engage with it. 
And our job as salespeople is not necessarily to do that old fashioned style of selling and kind of, you know, contact them early doors and persuade them and, you know, like follow the Scotsman qualification technique or whatever technique, you, you know, you use and that kind of thing. It's about um, picking them up at the moments where they need support and helping guide them to the next step in the journey to make their buying process as seamless and as, as easy as possible. And that's what creates a great feeling for the customer. And they should get to the end of that process and they go, oh, weren't they lovely people? Oh, they really understood me. Oh, I, I'm, I'm so happy now with what I've got. Not like, I felt like I was sold to there. You know, I need to go and take a shower because I feel like, oh, I've been manipulated, which is... um which is a complete flip from the way that the old style engines used to be built years ago when I was out in the Ford Sierra with my fuel card, you know, where we just built, we built engines of which were basically armies of reps just out on the road, which was, you know, here you go, do not show your ugly mug in the office until three o'clock on Friday afternoon or you're not doing your job right. So, so, we should be, so going back to that point then, because uh, you know you're talking I know, I know one of the your books you love is around that smashing the sales funnel what it was called mm -hmm. yeah. is, is is based around the customer journey then then design de design the resources that are going to deliver, deliver that journey in all the touch points yes the biggest shift in sales structure if we're kind of talking about sales teams is typically a sales team was put together um, in, I'm talking direct selling here and I'm talking business to business, okay? So, um, and obviously you're, you're representing recruitment firms particularly. So typically what we would, we would do, whether they were desk-based or field-based, is you would put people into, into a, a territory. And if, if your customer fell within that territory, either based on their customer size, the product group, or more, if it was a field sales rep, it was usually based on a geographical postcode. Everything to do with that customer from new business through to account management was your job, okay? And your relationship with your customer was you were the rep, they were the buyer. That was kind of how it worked. But because so much is now digital and because so much of the, you know, two thirds of the customer journey, the customer is either dipping in and out of or is, is accessing digital platforms in order to move through the customer journey. The need for those boundaries is completely be, being reversed. And now what you, what, you know, a modern sales engine is built on a philosophy called PAM, which is passive account management. And what you do is rather than build your reps in sort of like territories, is you build them based on competencies to nurture the customer at the various stages of the journey. So it allows that you, you to build a team where, where their skills are used best. So to use your, uh, to circle back on the point you raised earlier, Gordon, about, you know, so should, you know, what do we do about these hunters who are, you know, really crap at following process? They fit within the process, but they just do a bit of it now, which is the bit that they're really good at, which is usually the negotiation, the solution sell, and the closing the big deals, you know, but all that nurture stuff that comes up before it and all that account management stuff that goes after it will be done by somebody else. And as I say, two thirds of the journey now comes before that moment. And they're not the right people to lead that because <laughs> they're rubbish at it. You know, they're rubbish. How do you, how do you, and how do you stop the silos? In your, Cause I hear what you're saying. It's different competencies, match them to the different points of the customer journey. Yeah. How do you stop the silo? How do you stop the silos? Silos in which area? Silos meaning them working independently. 
yeah, in between these different skill sets and competencies. So between yeah. the hunters. Uh, okay, and, cool. And... Well, the, the first thing is, is it has to be a collaborative team approach when you're kind of mapping it all out. So everybody has visibility of it. Um, another one of my key mantras is that sales is not a department, it's a culture. And you have to put your customer at the heart of all of this decision-making and elevate mm. the need for ego, um, uh, sorry, elevate the need to serve the customer above the need for your own ego. Um, so if you put the customer at the heart, the beating heart of every decision, then you kind of, people are serving that as opposed to self-serving. Um, clear, clear boundaries about understanding, you know, where the, you know, and, and management of expectations and communication of that as to how the customer moves through that journey is another, is another component part and making people's objectives and targets and things fit around all of that um, and good process. So when I say good process, that's, um, you know, a lot of that is driven by good technology these days. Mm. Um, and there's so many platforms that I'm, I'm, I mean, I don't recommend any one over another. It depends on what you're already using, what integrates and all that kind of stuff. But what I tend to do with my businesses, when I say my businesses, Gordon, I mean, you know, some are customers, some are investments, some are whatever, but I call them all my businesses, yeah. like my children, um, is one of the things I always insist upon is that the marketing automation and the sales automation are done in the same system. So gone are the days where you can have MailChimp, you know, integrated with a, with ACT, you know, which are both quite outdated now. Although MailChimp's automation has got a bit better, but there are better platforms than that, in my opinion, at the moment. Um, you know, but where you kind of got an auto marketing automation system kind of working in isolation, and then you've got like a sales pipeline, opportunity management, CRM working in, in, in isolation. That doesn't work anymore. You must have one system. So you can have one record per customer, and you can see yeah. as anybody in that organization, where that customer's come from, what they've opened, what they've clicked on, who's had what conversation, what campaigns they've been involved in, who's got the next meeting, what price list, you know, where they've come from, if they've bought previously, all in one record. That has to be, that has to underpin that. And then then there's no, there's no hiding in the silos then. It's not like, well, these yeah. are my customers over here. It's all visible. Yeah. Um, I've got one, one other last area I want to touch on, Nicola. Um, what's your view on the relevance or importance of having a learning culture in a sales uh, business? Massive. Sales business? <laughs> okay. Massive. Good. I'm glad, I'm glad you said that. How do you create uh, in, the, uh, in the businesses you work with or the most successful sales engines, how do you create the learning culture? So um, two things, um, everybody should have busy Fridays, as I call them. Now, obviously, these have been replaced Thank by you. virtual busy Fridays. What I do is I sit down with the team and go, who's good at something? Like, what's the thing that you're really brilliant at? And it could be, and this is micro stuff. Um, uh, so, it, it, you know, somebody could be superb at the CRM, you know, or, or an Excel or a platform or something like that. And it's like, great. Your start, slot next busy Friday, you're putting together a half hour presentation on your top tips and how to do that. It gets recorded and, you know, everybody's visible. When I say busy Fridays, it's usually because that's the day that we used to order pizzas in and have a few cans of pop. 
um, so it's kind of a cultural thing, but obviously it's done virtually these days. Um, and, it, it, you know, you can have that one and who's good at uh, questioning or who's got the best template on, you know, who, yeah. who, who uncovers that, you know, on all that kind of stuff. And so you build that sharing culture. But these days it's like, it's great if you do them, whether they're done face to face or on Zoom, because you can record them, then they get added into the Bible. So the next person that joins the team, there's a library there of stuff that they can already um, access. Another thing that I've always done culturally within my businesses is anybody who goes to an event. So even like the event that I'm doing with you now, anybody watching this or anybody viewing it later. Um, so it doesn't matter whether it's a networking event and there's a speaker on for 10 minutes or it's an actual learning event is, um, you know, if you're there as a, as a representative of the business, then it's a requirement that you write up a one page, a summary of what okay. you took away from that event with three things and three recommendations that you could make to the business collectively, either your department or sales or whatever. And that again is then, you know, that builds that sort of culture of shared learning, shared learning, shared learning. Um, one, one page and three, three actions. Yeah, so one page, just a few summaries of like who they were, what their topic area was, what you took away from it, three, three things that you could see of benefit to the company. And that gets stored in the sales Bible under group shared learning is the folder that you would put that in. Um, and then the final thing, which isn't so much about building learning culture but i just think it's about building um a, a, a reward culture is um anybody who joins my business is um when they come in they're in they're they're asked to fill out a form alongside all the other stuff that you have to fill out that says basically how do you like to be uh, rewarded under 20 pounds how do you like to be rewarded under 50 pounds or if money was no object what's your favorite drink your favorite flower and your favorite chocolate chocolate bar and that goes on your record so when anybody like a senior team leader or a manager or anybody in the team wants to send or say thank you to somebody else in the team, it's like go and buy them a Galaxy bar. Because if they if you know that that person likes Galaxy over dairy milk, that makes a difference, you know. And um, uh, I often do um, when I do my sort of sales meetings. Um, we, we always meet sort of every six months and do strategy and that kind of stuff is there's always a gift waiting for people on the table and usually it's like a little goodie bag and they'll be like a, a can of, a bottle of wine or a can of your favorite beer or a spirit drink or whatever like that and you know your chocolate bar and, and, a, and, a, and a meal voucher you know to your favorite restaurant be it like a ZZ's voucher or something like that yeah. and just as a way of kind of building that sort of that that community of, of we're all in this together that it's not about you know you're the hero and and you do this all alone it's like it's it's a collaborative approach which is the way that works in today's world you can't you can't you can't be um a hunter out on your own in today's world at all it doesn't work yeah, love it love it nicola that's been absolutely fantastic a quick a few quick quick fire questions for you which i've given you no notice on see so I know. <laughs> this is all off the top of my head <laughs> and by the way when i looked at my diary over the weekend and i said oh, what's it looking like and I'm finishing off four o'clock on a Friday with Nicola Cooker. So that's a good end to the week. So here we go. First, well, first of all, is a very personal one. When is the next book coming out? I want, a, I want another Nicola Cook book. Right. Well, the thing to do is to get on my mailing list because I'm writing two at the moment. Um, and I'm uh, as soon as the covers are, are finished, I'll get them up on pre um, on pre order. My right. goal will be to get one out in June and one out in September. Okay. Brilliant. All right. Love it. Good. We'll look forward to that. Okay, here we go. So um, you, any sales guru that you follow uh, almost religiously that everybody should be looking at and following? That's a great question, actually. Um, 
I follow a lot of people. I mean, I follow all the usuals, you know, I follow the Seth Gordons and, and um, all of those types of people. And I'm always looking for what's the next thing, what's, it. but interestingly, the, the organization that I tend to get a lot of my, um, I, I get a sort of sense of like what's coming next, believe it or not, is Forrester. So okay, yeah. I, I subscribe to Forrester and I, um, I've been to a number of their conferences over the last decade um, yeah, yeah. and it's been fascinating because they did a conference about six years ago on the changes in the b2b buying world it was out in yeah. scottsdale in america there was ten thousand no ten thousand there was two thousand people there um, i was the only um the only brit in the room and i was the only representative of an sme smaller business there were all massive businesses and everything that i'm sharing now is kind of like what they saw coming through their research so what's interesting now is a lot of what they're talking about is AI and the impact of artificial intelligence on the next iteration of how our, our businesses and our engines need to adapt to how people will want to buy from us. So as the technology starts to evolve, you know, that that's what I'm kind of that's what I'm listening to at the moment. And then alongside that, at the moment, there's all the stuff about, you know, what is the new normal going to look like? Because the way that we sell has changed irreversibly throughout yeah. the pandemic. And this is a great opportunity for people to just rewrite how they how they meet their customers needs. So there's, you know, everything's up for, for grabs at the moment. So, yeah. Okay. yeah. Um, second one, that was the quick fire answer, by the way. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> the... Uh, the, the one book we should all be reading, sales sales engine related, is it is it your favourite smash the sales funnel? Yeah, at the moment, it? the one that I'm recommending to business to businesses, and it's the one book that I really wished I had written, um, is and they don't even know that I recommend it, but I I get it for all of my customers is smash the funnel. So if you're in a service based business in a business to business funnel, um, they have this idea of this cyclone where you go through the pre awareness awareness. Um, education consideration phase yeah. particularly which I think is really interesting yeah. um, and that people don't tend to necessarily go through a funnel like we, we used to it that they kind of ping pong across it um, and making sure that your sales um, uh, your sales aids is set up to allow for that to happen I apologize that's the dog just barking in the background have you heard of the doorbells just gone <laughs> that the basset hound the basset hound, yeah, the basset hound. Oh. <laughs> Yeah. so there we go yeah so smash the funnel is my recommendation at the moment there's there's loads actually that that i mean um there's lots it depends on what it what it is but smash the funnel is the latest new one yeah and and your your one recommendation to nicola cook who's picking up the keys for her ford ford sierra or whatever it was uh way way back when about 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 your career what would it be um that you're about to embark on the best career that you could ever you could ever choose um you are a lot more resilient than you think you 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 are and um uh when somebody says no to you it 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 doesn't mean that you're not worthy and they're saying no to you they're saying no to your offer and it's got nothing to do with you know your relationship with your father <laughs> because <laughs> you have to learn that skill to be successful in in this kind of world yeah no i, I absolutely love it and listen if people want to reach out to you obviously they can follow you on linkedin but um yeah. they can get to you via company shortcuts yeah company shortcuts nicola at with well, that's nicola spelt without an h nicola just n-i-c-o-l-a at company shortcuts with an s on the end dot com we'll get straight through to my inbox 
Fantastic, Nicola. It's been brilliant to see you. I love love what you do. I love the way you 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 simplify this the art of selling. And good to see you. Have and you. Weekend. We'll see you again soon. And you. Take care. Thank you very much. See you. <laughs>